0: Hello, and thank you for joining me for the 70th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is cultivating resilience in upside down times. I'm joined by Lean McDorg. I thought I could say that as well as she could. She is the author of Burnout to Breakthrough, Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. The publisher is Barrett Kohler Publishers. Eileen is the chief energy officer, that is, CEO as in chief energy officer at the Resilience Group, Resiliency Group, rather. In 2019, Global Gurus International ranked her first, first among the world's top 30 communication professionals. She's also been elected into the CPA Speaker Hall of Fame, which means she places among the top 3%. Of speakers in America. Welcome to the show, Eileen.
1: Thank you. Delighted to be here, Dan.
0: And I'm sure I will be delighted as we go through this conversation. <laughs> so give me a brief overview of your book, if you don't mind.
1: Well, it's, it's exactly what it says. First off, it's it's how do I move from burnout, which is now becoming, actually in 2019, the World Health Organization declared it to literally be an organizational hazard worldwide. So it is how do I move from this place of being burnout to how do I get to, from, to break through so that I can build resilience? Um, and I, I, I became intrigued with this. I've been speaking and studying about resilience and communication for literally decades. Um, but that over, the, I would say, before, and this was before the pandemic, that at least in the last two or three years, every time an organization would bring me in to talk about resilience, it was in the context of burnout. And finally, when the World Health Organization made that pronouncement and said, "That's it, that's it," I got to write the book. So that's how it came.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, it is certainly a timely book. I just saw a statistic the other day that was a 2.8 percent of the workforce in America. Uh, you know, dropped out of their current job in the month mm-hmm. of April. 2.8 percent of the workforce. Uh, they are burnt out. They are looking for something different. I have seen other surveys suggest as many as 90 percent of Americans in the workforce are contemplating a change of job role company or the entire field they're in in their career. I mean, so this is like a collective midlife crisis for America's workforce and burnout is no small part of that picture. So your your time has arrived uh, in terms of this being an important (laughs) topic. You
1: know, it's good news, bad news.
0: Yes, it is. It is. It's
1: good news for for the book. It's bad news that that so many of us are are feeling this and burnout has been around since the 70s when herbert freudenberger dr freudenberger actually even coined the word um in which he said it is to to exhaust your resources which you think about it resources mental physical emotional material to exhaust your resources trying to reach some unrealistic expectation imposed upon by yourself or society and if you even use the healthcare workers as an example then What is it that we're expecting to do right now when I just heard this thing that in Dallas, there are no more pediatric beds in Dallas. How are they supposed to manage?
0: Yeah, no, it's a tremendous burden. I I have a a niece-in-law who's a nurse. And at one point, uh, you know, first of all, she couldn't get, you know, the the protection she needed. Mm. Uh, Then when it became available, it wasn't very good in this case. It actually fell off while she was treating one patient who went on to unfortunately die. Left her wondering for several days, if not weeks, whether that might happen to her. Uh, so, yes, if you want to talk about stress and burnout, and in fact, in her case, she's changing career side, staying in healthcare, but looking to move to the administrative side instead. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, it is very stressful and very important. So, from this trajectory all the way back into the 70s when the term was, you know, created, uh, to now, what are some of the the causes of burnout? And have there been shifts in how people explain this to themselves and what's making it happening, you know, over that course of what's now 40, 50 years?
1: That's really an interesting question. Um, And let's go back to, so what what has shifted? Um, I think what has shifted is that we are no longer, and I use we as a collective we, we're no longer willing as a collective to ignore the places of pain in our life when I say pain it's it's you know being exhaustion is is huge but it's also feeling um, disconnected from the work that one point in time might have left you joy it is it is overdoing or underdoing and when I say overdoing it can be overdoing so much you're not getting any sleep you're exhausted that way or you know or alcohol, uh, food, uh, I saw one stat some time ago that in this pandemic, uh, it is estimated that some people have put on as much as 40 pounds. You know, they're eating their way through, which actually is going to make your body feel really exhausted because you're carrying a whole lot more than you ever had to carry before. Uh, it is this irritability. Uh, it's a lack of a sense of humor. There's, there's so much, but you can feel it in your in your heart and in your head. And since you talk about emotion, oftentimes we push that emotion back and saying, I'm not supposed to feel this. And it's okay now to say, I can own this. And now how do I break through so that I can reclaim those parts of my life that right now feel lost?
0: Well, I guess that is, in fact, one upside of the pandemic is that uh, if people have felt ashamed of feeling pain before, uh, it's been validated that it's legitimate because so many people are feeling it. You are not alone in feeling lonely for one thing, uh, because being shut in has, has you know certainly increased that.
1: You know, you used a very important word right there, Dan. It was the word "lonely," and literally, literally, maybe an hour before you and I went online, um, I I read this article that was was quoting uh, Sanjay Gupta. And what he said is one of the ways in which, with this loneliness, that we can begin to overcome it is by listening, by listening to each other and listen to this. Here's the word we want to use. Hello. Hello. <laughs> that might sound really crazy, but I got to tell you where I live in Southern California. I've, you know, I've lived here for, you know, th- 41 years. In this pandemic, I get up early in the morning and I do a five and a half mile run. And I can do it even in the, you know, when we were at the height of the pandemic, because I, I see very few people until I get toward the end of my run. Dan, I have I have met more people in the last year and a half than I have 41 years here. And when I say meet, it is to say hello to people, to say things like, God, those are, those are really funky running shoes you have on. Or, <laughs> oh, what an adorable dog. Can I pet your dog? And by the way, all leashes are at least six feet Walk so I can pet the dog. <laughs> and to look on people's faces, Dan, when I say hello, good morning, their faces like because they have felt, and we all can feel ignored. You know, you're locked in. Nobody knows that I even exist. When I can be out and just say hello and good morning, and it fuels me, I
0: am no longer alone. Yeah. I, I well, I started my company actually in San Diego and I worked very hard. And the great thing was at the end of the day, I could get out of my place. The weather was always lovely. And I could hit the tennis court or go jogging or whatever the case may be. And I could be surrounded by other people. And I could also look at the sky way above me and go, you know, my problems are rather insignificant. My stress level is is not so great. The, the, The universe is vast. And it helped restore some perspective as well. I didn't feel as claustrophobic with my own uh, concerns and to-do lists for the next day. So speaking of energy, which you are a specialist in, being the chief energy officer, uh, five-and-a-half-mile jog or run at the start of the day is impressive. Talk to me about energy, because you say at one point energy is the core of resiliency, and energy factors in how you define breakthrough as well. So I think we need to spend a little time on the term energy.
1: Thank you. Um, So let me say that energy management is the key to growing and cultivating resilience. And if you think about energy at, at its base level, it's what you and I learned when we were in school, that energy is the capacity to do work. No energy, you can't do work. And I'll put work in quotes because that doesn't just mean what you do for a paycheck. We all work, whether for fee or for free. So so how what is that energy where does it come from and if you think about energy energy either comes from or is depleted by either good connections or bad connections if you were to get in your car and you turn the car on there is a spark that goes the battery hits the or it goes from the engine to the battery and if it's a good connection the car moves forward bad connection the energy is drained the same thing is true if you think about a power grid the lights move across the power goes across the lines it gets to your house voila the lights go on bad connection no lights so energy then and resilience is all about what are the connections that i make and are they giving me energy or are they depleting my energy and if i were a management a management person in any kind of organization I want to look at what are the connections that I have and what is it that I am, how am I connecting with the people whom I have around me? So that's what is it that I say to myself in my head because huge connection there. What is it that my heart is feeling? You know as well as I do, Dan, that the heart is an incredible energy source. You and I can measure the energy of a heart far greater than we could that of a brain. What is it that I do? Does it give me energy? Does it deplete my energy? And if it depletes my energy, what do I do to get it back? And of course, then I also think we create energy through humor, which is why I believe that, you know, laughter is a great energy inducer. And then the last thing that gives us energy, which is why I, I selected one of the words that you gave me earlier, was passion. Am I involved in something that feeds my soul? And that gives me energy.
0: Well, I think that's, first of all, a wonderful answer. And secondly, as an interviewer, it gives me a lot of things to, to uh, <laughs> pursue here. Um, I, I might start for one thing by saying the heart and the head are, and I find this fascinating, only 18 inches apart. Yeah. Uh, Also fascinating. In your book, you mentioned that the heart has, if I'm quoting correctly, 60,000 miles of veins, capillaries and arteries that support it. I mean, that's just fantastic. Let's carry that over into the workplace. Uh, I'm thinking about cubicle farms and long hallways and elevators and corporate headquarters. But I'm also thinking about the connection between, you know, uh, a manager and staff and co-workers Uh, so what, where do those connections fire and, uh, where is the battery being drained most? What have you found from your years of this kind of work? Uh, what's, what's the pluses and the minuses for firing and getting the car engine going?
1: Well, let's, let's start by saying that all work starts with a relationship. It's a relationship with the task that you're asked to do. It's a relationship with your coworkers. It's a relationship with whoever it is that you answer to. And one of the things that in my work that I found that people have forgotten about that relationship. And so feedback is once a year and it's, you know, you check off the box and did you do it? And in fact, to create a good communication, a good relationship, how is it that we speak to each other? What is it that I know about you, Dan, other than your name, rank and serial number? And so like when I take... When I take management teams away, we don't start with what are the issues. We start with who sits around the table. Yes. How do I get to know <laughs> you? And it's be- when I see you as a human being other than a human doing, there's a big difference between a human being and a human doing. Then we say, what are the places that we have in common? And so from a management perspective, if I'm not willing to invite the people around me to Number one, open up. How about telling me the truth? We've seen some absolutely horrible examples of a lack of management where you say something and your head is bitten off. You are name called and you're out of there. There goes the energy. There goes that whatever intelligence could have been there. Uh, and we see that way, way too much. We're having now more and more horrible examples of rotten, terrible energy training communication um, throughout this nation, actually throughout the world. But I'm, I'm kind of horrified by what I see and hear right now for us, because this is not the way you create an organization that refuels, recharges, and reclaims what matters.
0: Again, a wonderful answer. And I really like that phrase, uh, you know, we are human beings as opposed to merely humans doing. Uh, in your book, you offer one point, it's from, Vec Murthy, the idea of an inside scoop where the team members get together and take <laughs> five minutes to actually share things about themselves through pictures, since we are very visually oriented as human beings. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that a lot. It reminded me I was at uh, in Corporate Life. I was director of executive communication for a Fortune 200 company. And the first time I met with the CEO with whom I was going to work directly, I said, before we do any task here, let's just take a few minutes to get to know each other. I have some sense of how you see things and priorities and work styles and a bit about your background and what might shape your values. And if you don't mind, I'll do likewise. And I really think that helped the relationship a lot. Um, So I, I I just loved that. Smart. Um,
1: we're so smart of you, Dan, because there are people, if you were just entering a new uh, a, a new territory, you've just been hired, you're going to be in charge of this executive communication. How many people would have here, I'm going to use the word, courage to go to the CEO and say, before I talk to you, I want to know more about you. You are inter- interviewing the CEO. Sadly, I think not enough people have the courage to do that, and by the way, courage the, comes from the French word cœur, cœur de lion, the heart of the lion. It really means opening your heart, which we think of also as the little brain, to connect on that way before you get to all the blah 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 brain talk.
0: Sure. Well, maybe maybe I, I had courage because it was born out of fear. I heard that the person before me, uh, no, he had been fired from the role, but the uh, CEO had taken that person's last speech ever written and ripped it up and threw it on the floor <gasps> of the office suite. Oh, and um, let's just say I didn't want that to happen to me.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. That would, you know, that's pretty darn it. See, but here, that's another example of instead of the CEO having the courage to go to the person to say, Dan, the speech that you work for me, I've got some issues here and I want us to talk about it and let me see how you can fix it. So you give you an opportunity to refix that speech. Now, maybe you're not the right person for the job. Maybe you can't do that. But just to, and I can imagine this is probably pretty visual too, to see the CEO ripping up a speech and go, oh my gosh, think of that person's uh, self-esteem that that happened to. And maybe it it was a bad match. He shouldn't have been in that, I'm guessing. I don't know, uh, but to have handled it that way. Now, maybe there was more that preceded that. I would hope so,
0: but I, I, I imagine so. But uh, anyway, it's not it's not the place I wanted to to end up. <laughs> no. uh, and in fact, how how the CEO was approaching it. Maybe you, you have a lot of wonderful terms in the book, and uh, here's another one: uh, red ant thinking. Maybe the CEO was involved in red <laughs> ant thinking. Is that possible? <laughs>
1: Well, yes. Um, I guess I should explain what red ant thinking
0: is. I I imagine so.
1: (laughs) You leave your listeners going, what
0: is this woman
1: talking about? (laughs) So it's another way in which we can drain our batteries. And it's negativity. It's finding all of the things that are wrong rather than what is right. And it's really looking for the wrong, looking for the wrong. And I got that term Um, on my own and found out later that some people actually um, talk about that is that uh, I have a relative in my life who is one of those people who could find anything that was I don't care if the sun was coming up through the stained glass windows in the church her comment would be oh my god look at that sun that's just terrible we have to move instead of saying how beautiful the colors are when they come into that stained glass window well the bottom line in 25 words or less or close to it We took this relative with us on a trip to see the fall colors in New England. And as we're going around one of these wonderful back roads, my sister suddenly said, oh, wait, stop the car. I want to take a picture of this great blue sky and those amazing fall colors in that weather vane." And Susan hopped out of the car and in a heartbeat, my relative said, well, I hope she doesn't stand in red ants. (laughs) <laughs> huh? I mean Susan and I just looked at each other going, what? What what wh- where'd you get that one from? And and I realized that this could be genetic. I mean, I could I could have this too, Dan, is that if we look for everything that is wrong, then you are continually spiraling down into a place that can be very conducive to depression, to burnout, um, and not being a very happy camper.
0: Yeah, well, we all we all need hope. I mean, really in, in business and in life, you know, we're we're selling ourselves on hope <laughs> and we're selling it to others because hope is the promise of happiness, or at least the possibility of mm-hmm. happiness. Uh, and, and happiness is a wonderful and very important emotion. It allows you to brainstorm better. I mean, it literally is as a as an action, it's about embracing, embracing others, embracing yourself. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I happen to play tennis and uh, someone said to me the other day, well, you know, don't get too hard on yourself. You know, don't, don't create an inner bully, you know, allow that you're going to miss a few shots. And I I just thought that was wonderful. You know, I don't like bullies and others. Why should I allow myself to bully myself?
1: Oh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a great line because I can find myself, you know, I'll do something. Oh, Eileen, you're so stupid. How could you be so stupid to do that? And I end up beating myself out. And by the way, I teach what I need to learn. So that's another good. That's another good reminder. That's another good reminder of me. And uh, when we're in this learning place, because it's we're always learning. Um, you know, you use that word happiness, and we hear that. You know, the happiness equation. I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest two things. One is that even deeper than happiness is joy. Joy is deeper. It resonates. There are times in which. You know, whatever happened, I don't I'm not happy about it. But where what is it that could bring me to joy? Maybe it is petting those dogs on the six-foot leash. Maybe it is saying hello to the little old lady who's got her walker out and she's, you know, she's coming down the sidewalk. It's it's deeper it's deeper than happiness. And the other point I wanted to make has to do with that word hope. Um, Howard Zinn, the wonderful philosopher, had a line. He said, To have hope, one does not need certainty, only possibility. And I love that.
0: Well, Ivan, uh, when you're speaking about joy, um, I'm going to add to that and complicate it a bit. There's been a commercial on, I can't remember, it's for one of the financial firms, and it's, basically, uh, you know, people getting back together, maybe post COVID, they can finally see, you know, the grandparent again. Uh, And there's a moment where uh, it it switches from one image to another. And in both cases, first, a woman probably meeting her grandmother. In the other case, it's a, it's a gay couple coming through the door, you know, back out of the church, for instance, after the wedding ceremony. Uh And in both cases, they show both intense happiness and profound sadness. Uh, on oh. their face simultaneously, because as I've studied emotions over the years, I've been fascinated by many things, including the fact that on the face, you know, a smile and a frown like a rodeo clown, clown frown, which goes down at the corners of the mouth. It's almost as if happiness and sadness are the front and back sides of the moon. They, they are mm. so interlinked because we go from sadness and a sense of feeling forlorn and abandoned and no possibility Suddenly the sun is out and uh, we we feel like all those things can happen and we can get out of the shadow of it. But uh, I think some of the most intense happiness, even joy in a strange sort of way, comes from the relief, the transition, uh, and that we feel so strongly from abject despair into happiness instead.
1: You know, there was some, I, I always loved the book, The Prophet by Gahil Gabran. Yep, and in it now i'm not i don't have the book in front of me but if I can paraphrase it basically he wrote that what is your joy as what is your what is your joy is your sadness unmasked that they are flip sides just exactly what you said yeah. um and so that what brings you to joy was at one point in time your sadness and vice versa yeah no, was,
0: they, they yeah they really feed one yeah. to the other.
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're spot on, spot on.
0: Well, ha- happy to hear that, of course. <laughs> pun, intended, <laughs> well, yes. pun intended.
1: So you're the prophet. You're you're Gehil Gibran, come again. You
0: know? Well, I, I can only try. Um, but speaking of another prophet, uh, James Joyce had a wonderful line, a quote that you include in your book. Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, and i just love that because i think part of your point here because you mentioned earlier the head and the heart and the body and the soul right. and i think we need to get to each of those here before we run out of time but it is really important i think in making this transition from burnout to breakthrough to indeed be connected to your body and know how you're feeling and and uh, make those allowances and 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 listen to your not just your own inner voice but your own your own body yeah
1: well, the, I I love that quote by James Joyce because um, the way I have always interpreted it is that you're not you're not present where you are, so your body like right now I'm sitting talking to you at my at my desk in my office. Oftentimes, my body's here, but my brain is someplace else. My brain is over there going, oh my gosh, how am I ever going to get on that freeway? And how am I going to get down to San Diego by four o'clock and blah, 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 blah. So my body is here, but my brain is someplace else. And to be present in the moment is the most powerful thing we can do. And oftentimes it is not what we do. We either live in the past beating ourselves up for the could have, would have, should have. How did I ever get to this place? Or we're in the future with, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, what will happen? What will happen? What will happen? And so the ability to actually be present in your body right here, right now is is a great gift. And it's something, at least for me, I got to work on every day.
0: Well, I think we all do. Uh, Very interestingly, then, because James Joyce, that is a quote from a a short story collection called The Dubliners. But since I have a PhD in English, I can tell you that, of course, his most famous novel is Ulysses. And the whole very long, very complicated book, uh, often considered the most difficult book in all of literature, takes place in a single day. So it is in the moment (laughs) for 800 pages plus. Uh, Uh, So maybe James Joyce learned that lesson himself.
1: I wonder if he was happy at the end of it. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't know. I, I only managed to get through about 250 pages and decided life is too short. And uh, I want, I wanted to be part of some other moment rather than trying to uh, deal with as a mental pretzel that he had created, even though there's some wonderful passages, certainly like uh young gr- girls who are young and easily Freudened. I do remember that line. Oh my, that was, that was quite funny. So, one more place I wanted to get to was was the soul because I think that's a word that uh, maybe doesn't get a lot of uh, currency in business, but I think it's really important. Uh, you mentioned passion earlier, so to me, I, I have to imagine you're going to tell me that if you really want to get to breakthrough, uh, the equation involves the soul and it may even be the linchpin to making the whole thing happen.
1: Well, actually, it is what I call it is that notion of purpose. You know Mark Twain said the two greatest times of your life with the day you were before the day you were born and the day you discover why. <laughs> I think the why I, i'm I'm doing yeah. more of this work, helping individuals and then you could do it collectively as a team or an organization, is what is your why? Why are you here? How does that show up? how, how does how do you manifest that? And then, oh, P.S., what do you do? So it's not like saying I'm a dentist. It's saying is uh, my why. My why is to create smiles so people feel good about themselves. I'm here for contribution. Now, I just made this up. I'm not a dentist. But notice it's very different than I straighten teeth. Yeah, absolutely. so that it is, if I could use a pun, a play on words, it is solar power.
0: And well, I, yeah. Well, I went there because it seemed to me that you couldn't sustain energy without connecting to your soul, because that's going to give you that, you know, that ongoing power and and sense yeah. of purpose and yeah. resiliency that that you're writing about.
1: Yeah, and and resiliency is not one and done. Okay, got it. Yep. What's going to happen in our life, Dan? And that's why I think of it as cultivating. I think of it as a journey. And just like you cultivate a field, you don't just throw the seeds out and go, Psh, well, okay, that's done. You got to feed seed and water and you do it in seasons. And there are going to be seasons in our life that are going to require, oh, so much more energy. And how do we respond in that season? Because that's where our body is showing up
0: now. So you're, you're telling me you do five and a half mile runs, but really you're in a marathon.
1: <laughs> well actually that's probably true yeah the uh, life can be you know a marathon what i don't want to miss is i don't want to miss where i am as my body's moving i don't want to look at the finish line because i don't know where that is
0: okay well that's all fair enough i want to thank you so much eileen mm-hmm. uh, i think guests can uh, listeners can figure out by now why she's one of the top speakers in america and why the uh, Global Gurus International said she was the number one person out of the world's top 30 communication professionals. Hmm. I think that all has become quite evident in the course of this interview. Um, she is indeed the author of Burnout to Breakthrough Building Resilience to Refuel, Recharge, and Reclaim What Matters. This has been episode number 70 called Cultivating uh, Resilience in Upside Down Times. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. You can check out other episodes by going to my company's website at the obligatory three W's.sensorylogic.com, or you can go to the New Books Network, type in Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, and find them in that way. Finally, I like to conclude every show with an epigram. In this case, I took one from Nelson Mandela, who mm-hmm. said, Do not judge me by my success, judge me by how many times I fell down and got back up again. Mm -hmm. Until next time, be kind and stay safe.